how seriously do I take the daily objective? In, seriously enough to watch a three-hour movie for a second time last night, just so today I would have interesting things to say to you. So this three-hour movie was Oppenheimer, and I'm here today with Joseph to discuss it. So you might know Joseph. He's been on the show in the past. He's working with Lisa Van Damme on the Read With Me uh, project, which I recommend it particularly for those of you who want to dive into works of literature that look intimidating, perhaps not as intimidating as a three-hour movie. So, Joseph, here's the big picture for me when it comes to Nolan movies. Mm -hmm. I adore Nolan. I used to think that Nolan should be the director to direct Atlas Ragged or The Fountainhead. Mm -hmm. If one guy could do it, I used to think that would be Nolan. I'm not sure if I think the same thing after watching Oppenheimer, but we'll get there. Interesting. Okay. I had my strongest aesthetic experience ever and the strongest reaction ever when it comes to art when I watched Interstellar in the cinema. It's something which is going to be unforgettable for me. And this was my mindset when I watched Oppenheimer for the first time back in London some months ago. Because in Greece, it only came yesterday. Having said that, when I watched Oppenheimer, it was a letdown. Cinematically, mm. I found it obviously great. How can a Nolan movie not be cinematically great? But I found it as a huge missed opportunity because you had all the elements of a great epic, an epic figure like Oppenheimer himself, larger than life, an epic project, create a bomb that will win us the war. And yet all this is lost in a sea of, in, in an ocean of three hours of a plot that no one is sure what exactly is happening. Why do we see the sea that we think? We go, we jump back and forth to different timelines. And most important from all, for, for, for all of these things, I think this is a movie without the moral compass. This is a movie where the director is not really sure who is a good guy, who is a bad guy. And at the end, he throws everything in a gray scale, like, well, who is to know who is good and who is bad? So what's what's your take on the movie? Interesting. Um, so I guess for some context, I read leading up to the movie, I read about half the book. Um, uh, so the, the movie, for anyone that doesn't know, is based off of a book called, I think, American Prometheus. And it's the story of Oppenheimer. Um, I read it because I was very interested. I, I love Nolan like you do. And, and, you know, I wanted to kind of immerse myself in the story because I knew nothing about Oppenheimer before. Um, and I was very disappointed in the book. And so my expectations of the movie were quite low. And so I thought the movie did a much better job of the elements of the book than the book did. So it exceeded my expectations. I actually enjoyed enjoyed the movie more, I think, because I had read the book as a background. And I guess I wasn't as surprised by some of the things that came out in the movie because I knew it was based off of this book. So the book focuses a lot on Oppenheimer's relationship to communism. That is the dominant thread in the book. It doesn't uh, give you the impression of the scope or the magnitude of the Manhattan Project, which is a very big letdown in the book. You don't really get to understand the nuance and the, the scale of what they were doing and what they were going to achieve. Most of it's focusing on who was a spy, who had Russian ties. That dominated the conversation. And so I thought the movie all, already did a much better job of that, right? You got 
it, like a lot of the focus was on the Manhattan Project and you got to really appreciate the scale of what they were doing. I loved the scene when they had the marbles to demonstrate the difficulty of, of getting the uranium and plutonium. In the book, they kind of gloss over, they mention it's a very hard project, but they don't really give you an understanding of why it's so challenging, why it's so difficult, why it requires so much industrial effort. And even that one visual, I thought gives you a really, oh, each piece of uranium is this little marble, right? And look how much we have to fill. So the movie already did a great job there. And I guess I had some context of the communist focus, which is why maybe the flashbacks made more sense to me, like the back and forth between Robert Downey Jr. and, and you know, the past and the future, why that tied. And, and the book does not do it in a compelling way. And so I thought the movie just presented that in a much more interesting way to learn about. The last thing I'll say is about just on the moral tone, one thing I actually quite liked about the book and the movie is they do dive into at least the questions, right? The moral question of the bomb and dropping it and entertain that and look at the whole context. And I think that is actually important for objectivists because in objectivism, we tend to say, you know, if you're not the aggressor, you can do whatever you want and, you know, drop the bomb if it's going to save lives, which I still agree with from a moral position. But it doesn't mean you don't take a step back to think about it and think about something like that very carefully. And so I thought the book, and even in the movie a little bit, did a good job of at least looking at some of the ideas that the scientists had, right, the concerns they had, and the magnitude of this question. It's not, you know, it's not an easy decision to make, despite it maybe still being the moral one. Um, it's and I thought you know I love that scene where he's giving the speech after, and essentially it's like the bomb goes off in the audience, and it it really makes clear how much it's weighing on you or weighing on him, I should say. So th- those are kind of my initial thoughts. We'll get back to this scene because second time I appreciated this. I watched the movie. I appreciated this scene much more. So with there's going to be only mild spoilers, but let me say this to the audience. So. First time I watched the movie, I hadn't done any research. I have, I thought I have a fairly good take on the historical reality of the 30s and the 40s and then the beginning of the Cold War. And I couldn't follow most of the movie, to be honest with you. I mm. watched it without subtitles and it was difficult to follow the dialogue anyway. Yesterday I was in Greece, obviously there was subtitles. So I would say before you go watch the movie, at least do the basic background that you know what that you know for example things about the red decades you know about the 1930s the sympathy of many scientists towards communism the various fronts that the communist party had then you know about the shock in the american society in the late 40s when they realized that the soviet union also had the bomb and then there was a question how did they get the bomb so without all this historical knowledge more than half of the movie, almost half of the movie, you're like, what is happening here? Who is this guy? Why am I watching this? So Nolan has this thing that, oh, my movies is like, you, you should be way too clever to understand them. I think in this, in Oppenheimer, he over, he's overdoing it because mm. it's not only you have to be too clever to follow it. You have to hold like a PhD in history <laughs> to follow it. I mean, let's be honest. How many people knew about... Uh, uh, Strauss and uh, and these these specifics. Now, so that the people can follow, the movie is basically three parts. 
the first part, and throughout these three parts, they play with three different timelines. So try not to get confused here. The first part is the the coming of age, let's say, of the great mind that is Oppenheimer. You fall, we follow him from being a, an eccentric student to being the guy who is considered one of the best minds in America. For me, this is the best part. Then mm. we get to the Manhattan Project, which I think there's it could be more epic. It's almost, it's almost some of the gravitas that you'd expect is missing, but we're compensated with one of the strongest, I think, scenes that I've ever watched in cinema, which is the countdown to the bomb. Not the actual bomb. We never see the bombs falling in Japan, but the Trinity test, the test bomb. Yes. These five minutes before the bomb, the countdown, even the second time I I, I watched it, I was grabbing my seat like that. (laughs) And the reason is not only the great acting, we're going to talk about the acting, is also that this film has an extra actor, and this is the sound. The Mm. sound is so immersed, integrated in the plot, that it's like a character of its own. So again, cinematically, you're going to be compensated for the three hours. And then we have a Trinity test, and then you expect, okay, that was the peak. And then you have almost another hour of a film which, again, for most people, is like, what am I watching now and why am I mm-hmm. watching it? Which is Oppenheimer's post, uh, post-war uh, troubles. Not troubles with the law, but troubles with the, with the scientific bureaucracy. And uh, it has to do with his past, uh, with his past communist uh, uh, sympathies. So one thing to, again, to praise Nolan. Do you remember, Joseph, a film some years ago called The Imitation Game, which which was about Alan Turing? Now, if you think about it, this was a film with a similar theme, a scientist trying to to do something great. Mm. And it was a nice film. But it's a film that after a couple of days, you forget it. But Mm. Oppenheimer, I mean, you might love it, you might not like it, you won't forget it. So what Nolan did is, it's not easy to create such an cinematic epic around uh, around the story and you mentioned the you mentioned that scene with the with the doubt so indeed the movie asks the right questions but it doesn't give you any tool to give to provide the answers so for example did we have to drop the bomb to japan mm. yesterday i did a whole podcast with this on with ben bayer in ari channel the movie doesn't even give you a clue. Were the Japanese good guys? Were they bad? Mm. Was it a war of aggression? A war of defense? Now, maybe you could say this was not the movie's job. But without knowing anything about what was happening with the Japanese, how can we sympathize or not sympathize with Oppenheimer? So I think the movie leaves us uh, to dry, as they say. So don't you think there should be a bit more moral clarity or at least an attempt of, towards moral clarity? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think um, you make a good point. And it's hard for me to evaluate because I read the book before. So I know it's hard for me to separate the context I had going into it. So it's it's nice to hear your perspective because you saw it once with only any incidental knowledge you had about that historical period, right? Um, and in the book, they do go into more detail. You know, they they look at some of the evidence in terms of 
okay, was Japan about to surrender? What were the terms of the surrender? They were like, how close were we to victory already? What was, so they, they go into that a little bit more in the book, but you're right. They, I don't remember them giving enough details in the movie. So, you know, whether or not they need to present that Japan's the aggressor, I think maybe that's sufficient, like enough in the, in the cultural knowledge, not to need to, to mention that part, but you're right. They probably left out too many details to give, to equip you to make any sort of moral conclusion based off of what's shown in the movie. And at the same time, so you mentioned they leave out important information. We're bombarded with stuff that I still don't know why I watched it. Like I have no hmm. idea why I watched so much of Oppenheimer's affair with that woman. Like I, I still hmm. don't know. Okay. She was a communist. I have no idea why he fell in love with her. Why then he left here? Why he switched to this other woman who I'm supposed to think she was a great character. I, I, I understand we live in 2023. There needs to be a strong female presence on screen. If someone can explain to me why Oppenheimer's wife is such a great addition to compared to the film time she gets. Like, first time we like we see her, she she's a mother who is drunk. Then she she's she's just telling him, hey, do you know you have to stand up? You shouldn't let people ruin your name. Like there's no depth there. So there's too much. The the the, the film is stretched thin, and I don't know why do I have to care about these. Uh, why do I have to care about these characters. So why do why is it important, for example, that uh, that uh, this that Oppenheimer had this discussion with this guy who basically told him, "Oh, our friends the Soviets. If you have any secrets to give them, let me know." There's so there, there's a whole context behind this that actually the Soviets had not one but three spies in the Alamo project in Los Alamos, and they also tried to get to Oppenheimer unsuccessfully. So Oppenheimer was not a Soviet spy. Go watch last Friday's TDO that I did on Soviet infiltration. But all this, I can only understand them after having spent hours and hours of doing my own mm. research. The film bombards with all that stuff. And you wonder, what am I seeing there? At the end, we see there was another woman with whom he had an affair. Like, again, why? Okay, he was a womanizer, but it's it's too much and I can't process them. And also I cannot mm. sympathize or connect to them. I mean, I connect to Oppenheimer because I already knew him as a figure. Killian Murphy, I think he has a performance for the ages. But yeah. beyond that, like, why should I make me, make me get a bit more invested in, in what I'm seeing would be my complaint to, to Nolan. I th So I think, um, one thing I liked about that, because I didn't have as strong of a negative reaction about some of those scenes. And I think it helped tease out the nuance of his character a little bit. So my impression by the end of it is here's this really intelligent person, um, very driven person, right? He's going to he's going to help America get this atomic bomb first. They believe the Nazis are going to get it first. And if they do, that's really bad. That's really, really bad. And so he's motivated, he's driven, and he's got all these conflicting political views, right? He's clearly patriotic towards America. He's naive about communism. I would be interested to talk to you about that a little bit more too, why they were so captivated by, by mm -hmm. communism and socialism. But um, 
and he's got this really complicated relationship with women <laughs> that's that's bizarre and extreme and intense and he's juggling you know you see the insane pressure he's under right he has to juggle doing this amazing achievement while also having these ties to people that you know would would undermine his ability to to work on the project um and and you know be loyal to america so all yeah, of that that's a together good you know and for me, a very powerful scene in the movie was when, uh, this is going to be a big spoiler for anyone, but when um, the person he was having an affair with commits suicide and and he finds out and he has this very emotional moment um, where you just see, like in the middle of the Manhattan Project, this thing happens and it bubbles up. And so you get to tease that out. I don't think that scene's as powerful without the rest of the context. And then on top of that, I think for the wife, you know, she has some great moments later on where she's the only one with a backbone who's standing up to to the assault on his on his legacy. And I, I think the fact that you see how troubled she is before that adds to that impact later on. So I think all these things together, I, I agree with you. It's a lot going on. And, you know, maybe if you hadn't read the book beforehand, it would be too much. So I was already familiar with a lot of these scenes because they took them right out of the book. So to me, it was like just interesting to see them played out. So that's my defense of it. My, my I'll tell you one thing, defense. Joseph. Now that you okay. said all this, I'm serious. I get it. But the okay. fact that I had to watch the film twice and then yes. have a discussion with you to get it. Again, we go back to like Nolan makes us try way, way, way too hard, I think, to... to, to 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 get all in this movie though i don't think that's typical of nolan though well, like i don't think in, in his other movies i've never had to work hard to maybe i'm not the most clever person under the sun but i watched inception with a friend who had watched oh, it eight times <laughs> sure and okay, he had right. to inception every five and, uh... minutes i would pause say, what happened here what what, what do we... sure anyway well, what was so... the other one uh, inception and the other one uh tenant yeah those ones are a little bit more out there but the dark knight and interstellar those are Yeah, Interstellar was great. The Dark Knight. I mean, from all the Nolan, from all the Batman movies, I'm the Dark Knight. I'm it's the one that I found least impressive. I I know it's sacrilege, but I don't think Heath Ledger was the the best Joker. Sorry, people. But again, it has this ending that no matter how many times I see it, I always get like the goosebumps. So I think the ending of Dark Knight is uh, makes up for uh, makes it a, a, a brilliant movie. Only by itself. So in the last few minutes, let's us discuss what you said. So what drove Oppenheimer close to calling him? So it's the third, it's the late 30s. So one big thing in the world is the rise of Nazism. We still don't know that much about the crimes of Stalin. So Soviet Union is, or at least people who don't want to know, don't know. Because they believe the BS that, oh, yeah, all these people we executed were basically traitors and stuff. And most importantly, we have the Spanish Civil War. So we have fascists rising up in Spain against the democratic government. And soon this becomes basically a battle between fascists and Democrats in Spain. But Democrats dominated more and more by communists supported by Soviet Union. So at for many people at that point, I'm a communist meant... I'm against fascism. I support the good guys in Spain. I protect uh, the Jews from persecution. 
And the movie, again, touches upon this, but I think it, it cuts them way, way, way too much, uh, too much slack because mm. you, you could believe this at some point in the 30s, but then the fact that in the 50s, once the Soviet Union had a nuclear bomb, people like Strauss were super suspicious towards people like Oppenheimer, I think that suspicion was also justified. So, but that's the thing with the movie. There's almost zero historical inaccuracy. So you cannot tell to Nolan, why did you, like, this is not accurate. But at the same time, the things that he pays attention to almost wants to switch your attention. Hey, forget this epic thing that we have here, which is the good side building a bomb that brought the end of the war faster and saved lives. And look at this thing. These weird conservatives who were anti-communist and they were spoiling, mm. uh, they were uh, ruining people's reputation. So it's not that there's anything which is historical accuracy, inaccuracy. It's mostly where do you choose to focus? So that's mm. the thing. I from Nolan, I always ex- it's imagine like Batman having a diarrhea or something. Like yeah, okay, technically <sighs> you could have a diarrhea, but I expect the epic here. I don't expect like the. The trivial. And for me, the beef between Nolan, uh, sorry, between Oppenheimer and Strauss is 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 not the big picture here. So that's why I, mm. I want a bit more, a bit more of the of the big picture. Well, let me ask you, this might be too big of a question to to unpack in the, the short time we have. So here's something I've wondered about, and I know you know a lot about this period of time. So, you know, Ayn Rand said about her philosophy. She doesn't know she could have come up with it without the Industrial Revolution, right? Mm -hmm. Until you saw man's mind in action, it would have been impossible maybe to to figure out everything she was able to figure out. And something I've wondered is, without the crimes of Stalin, and not just Stalin, I mean, there were atrocities that happened before Stalin and that were suppressed, right? There's the, the famous story about the New York Times, you know, not reporting so without seeing the record, right, the record of communism, the number of bodies, mm. could, a, could even these really intelligent people, can you, can you chalk it up to naivete or do you think they should have known better? That's, that's, like, a, that's a brilliant a, question. So if you're Oppenheimer and the year is 1938, yes. could you be excused from being curious, as he put it, towards communism. That's sad. To be sympathetic. Because think about this way. You know, I, I can put myself back in my shoes when I was 16, 17, 18, right? Didn't know any philosophy. Was never taught history, right? We're not taught, the like, there's a great, great lecture I want to tell everyone to watch. It's by Alan Kors. It's called Socialism's Legacy. It's one of the most incredible power. It's a one-hour talk one of the most powerful talks he ever gives. One of the things he quotes in there. Sorry, if who's you the guy? Alan Kors, Dr. Alan Kors. Um, I'll, I'll send the link. Maybe Daniel can put it in the in the chat after. It's one of, Lisa, Lisa showed me, it's one of the most powerful lectures you'll ever watch. It's only an hour, hour long. But one of the things he mentions in there is, if you asked most young people these days, how many people died at the hands of communism? They might say thousands. And he said, that's the equivalent of saying hundreds or dozens of people died in the Holocaust in terms of scale, right? The number of bodies that communism. So 
putting myself back into high school, I had no conception of how many people have been killed by this idea. And so it sounds like a very humane, and I, I was taken by, I used to consider myself a socialist, but I was sympathetic towards it. I thought about ideas, but not very deeply. And it seemed like the more humane narrative that I was being told. And I did not have, it, it seems monstrous to me now to look back on it because I now know the, the legacy of socialism. So that's the context for the question is, okay, back then, can you excuse them at all? How much do you, mm. like how much was out there versus wasn't without, they didn't have objectivism at the time. It's not like they were listening to lectures of objectivism and knew the philosophical issue. So that's the question I'll pose to you. That's a brilliant and very difficult question. So to his credit, Oppenheimer says that when he saw the Molotov-Ribbentrop uh, deal, so basically the approach between Soviet Union and Nazi Germany, then he started changing his mind. But that's what I'm saying, that Oppenheimer comes out at the end as a basically good person in history. But at the same time, the people who were very worried with the Soviet threat were also on the right, were definitely more on the side, right side of history, even more than Oppenheimer. Like Teller was more on the right side of history with his hydrogen bomb uh, approach. Because, of course, today we know that the Soviets were already pursuing the hydrogen bomb before their first test of the, of the actual... Uh, the, so the first bomb by the Soviets was the equivalent of the Nagasaki bomb. Why? Because they copied it. They had the secrets from their Los Alamos spies. But the, the Soviets were already working on the hydrogen bomb. So it's not that they developed the hydrogen bomb because the Americans developed the hydrogen bomb. Mm. So today we know that. So Strauss was on the right side of history. Teller was on the right side of history. At the same time, we can understand that Oppenheimer in the 30s, or at least until 39, he was under the impression, yeah, there might be something interesting here. It wasn't his job in terms of he wasn't like a historian. He wasn't. So the fact that he was at least potentially interested and misled, we can cut him some slack because later, he changes his mind, at least when it comes to the Communist Party. I wish he did the same when it comes to Soviet Union. So his idea that... But well, here's an interesting um, example I wanted to share, too, of maybe demonstrating his naivete. One thing Oppenheimer really pushes is he thinks that we should share, and I don't fully understand his motivations for this, but a common theme in the book, and it's mentioned in the movie a few times, is he really believes what America should do is share the knowledge of the, of the atomic bomb with the Russians. And to me, what that signals is he doesn't understand the nihilism of Stalin, of one of these dictators, right? He, I don't know if he fully appreciates that we're not talking about people who are doing socialism at the goodness of their heart. We're talking about really, really evil nihilistic people. But yet, well, that's the that's the thing. So I, I have to I have to go within a minute because from sure. my Zoom I need to start an ARU class. So that's that's exactly what I say. That I stop my cutting of slack to Oppenheimer. That the idea that in the year 1945 or even after that, when you see that Soviet Union has actually mm. occupied half of Europe with the force of the Red Army, and you still think we should share the secrets because this will somehow prevent the nuclear race, I think that's at best stupidity because very often we see people who are brilliant in one area being very stupid in another area or evasion anyway i have no more than 20 seconds so let me say 
a big thank you to Jonathan for your contribution and your super chat. Tomorrow, oh, sorry, today, the reality show on Lucy Let Be Update. Not very sure what this is, but I assume people will know. Tomorrow, 4 p.m. UK time, we have the history of astronomy course with Joseph uh, himself. And this is for platinum and above Earth UK members. And tomorrow at 5 p.m., the philosophy forum talking about tattoos and high-risk sports. So I need within 10 minutes, 10 seconds to start ARU class. Otherwise, I'll be in trouble with Yaron. Many thanks, Joseph. Many thanks to our Thank viewers. You. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.